Good morning. A pastor had been hard at work for weeks preparing the church's new donation drive when he realized that his car needed an oil change. So he took it into the shop, got the oil change, and on his way back to church, he realized he was passing a congregant's home, so he stopped thinking he would say hello and maybe ask them for a donation. So he went to the door and he knocked, but he received no response. Just as he was about to leave, he noticed some movement by the window. So he knocked again, waited a couple moments, no one answered the door. So he took out the uh, donation pamphlet and scribbled this verse on it. Revelation 3.20, which says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with, that, eat with that person, and they with me. Pretty clever pastor, right? Well, that next Sunday, as they were passing the donation basket around, he noticed that very same pamphlet came back to him with this verse scribbled on it. Genesis 3.10. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> Again, good morning again. My name is Dennis Fay. I'm one of the elders here. And I will conclude our stewardship series this morning. Um, as most of you know, we've been looking at how God calls us to be faithful stewards of our time, our talents, and our treasure. Uh, two weeks ago, Jack Supp, you know, opened up the series looking at time. Last week, George Hornicle uh, looked at talents. And you know what's coming today. <laughs> looking at our treasures. So thank you for being here, and thank you for not hiding, all right? All right, this morning, we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 5 through 12. But just here's, here's a little background on this scripture uh, to get us started. In the late 40s AD, uh, a famine swept across Judea, and um, Christians in the uh, Jerusalem church, they were, they were in dire need. And, and the leaders of the Jerusalem church at that time, uh, James, uh, Peter, and John, um, requested the apostle Paul to remember the poor. And yet we know that Paul was zealous to do that anyway. So Paul responded by encouraging Christians to contribute an offering to uh, provide relief for those Christians uh, in Jerusalem. Now, Persecution in Jerusalem had, had greatly increased. And, and these folks found themselves in a very, very difficult economic circumstances. And although believers in other cities gave financial aid and material aid to these believers, but Paul thought this was an area of ministry that the Corinthian church had neglected. And Paul being Paul, right, did not want these brothers and sisters to fall short in any area of their ministry. So he urged them by the grace of God to give a um, bountiful gift to the believers. All right. Because you see, Paul did not want this omission to cause the Corinthian Christians to be affected by the sin of covetousness. So with that background... Let's take a look at our verse, our scripture passage this morning, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 through 12. If you have your Bibles, 
follow with me. I will have this on the screen as well. Let's take a read. Starting in verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing and many thanksgiving to God. Amen. James said, faith without works is dead. So what kind of work of faith do we need to obey the principle of God to get our needs met? To answer this, let's look first and look back again on verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is a very simple principle. I'm going to sum it up very easily. When you have a need, plant a seed. All right, how's that? Look, I do not have a farming background. I grew up outside New York City. I didn't even see a farm until my mid-20s. But ironically, I went to work for the Department of Agriculture. And I had the opportunity to visit farms all across this great nation. I don't know much about farming, but this is what I do know about farming and farmers. You are really demonstrating faith when you plant a seed. You really are. You are living by faith with the hope that your seed will produce a harvest. But before you do anything else, you must Plant the seed, all right? So again, if you have a need in your life, you must plant a seed. But listen, you also need to be obedient in the area in which you have a need. Because whatever a man sows, the Bible says, that shall he also reap. So if you want corn, you plant corn. You reap what you sow. If you want wheat, you plant wheat, and so on and so forth. And you know what? This principle holds true in other realms as well. If you want a friend, you plan a friend. No. If you want a friend, you be a friend. You be a friend. I mean, the employee who looks at the clock all day and does minimal work 
probably will not get the next promotion. Parents who have no time for their children when they are young are likely to find that their children have no time for them when they leave the house. Because we reap what we sow. Here's another example. Let's say there are two farmers, and both of them are in great trouble, an economic crisis, all right? And both of them have some seed to plant. But one farmer takes this approach, you know, saying, you know, seed is so expensive. He says, you know what, I, 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 it's the only seed I have. And if I plant this seed, I may starve to death if there's no harvest. So he doesn't plant the seed. There's no harvest, and he starves to death, right? Because he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now, the word sparingly is a good translation of the Greek word theodominos, which, which speaks of holding back, using restraint, being careful. In other words, um, measuring by the teaspoon instead of the gallon, or, or calculating by inches instead of by miles. But you know what? Restraint can be good. It can also be bad, depending how it's applied. I, I, I think uh, it's a good idea to apply criticism sparingly. It often helps to exercise restraint with money. I mean, last fall, we, we looked at the prodigal son who spent wasteful, wastefully, and he found himself, what, eating pig slop and humble pie. Right? But Paul then states the reverse principle, doesn't he? Right? That a person who gives generously is likely to receive generosity in return. And he knew that generosity begets greater generosity. Right? while well, a lack of generosity begets a greedy and covetous spirit. And so to avoid this from happening, okay, Paul told them, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. All right? and, and of course, the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And again, this is a principle that is equally evident in the natural world as well as the spiritual world. I mean, think about this. The abundance or sparsity of a harvest is directly in proportion to the quantity sown. I mean, a profusion of seeds, which has been plentifully sown, will bring forth an abundance of grain, while a meager scattering of seeds will produce a paltry amount of produce. I'm going to ask just for a, a, a little bit of grace here, if you don't mind. I... I, I Allow me to get on my soapbox just for a moment, all right? Before I go to verse 7, I really need to say this. Please, please hear me. And this is, this is sad. But there is an increasing number of false teachers who abuse this passage of Scripture. And they do this in order to feather their own bank accounts. And... and, and, and they do this by manipulating the minds of their congregation, suggesting that if they drop money into the offering plate, God is obliged to increase their financial situation. 
This type of prosperity teaching is a distortion of the truth and it's antithetical to good biblical teaching and it should be strongly opposed and we oppose it here at Grace Church. You need to understand that we do now teach a prosperity gospel. What we do teach is good biblical stewardship, which we do once a year. All right, I'm stepping off my soapbox. Look at verse 7. This, and 7 is just a really key verse to this message. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Listen, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Did you know the Bible tells us exactly how we are to give? Guys, first of all, we are to give thoughtfully. The Bible says we are to pray about it. We are to purpose in our hearts on our giving. In other words, we're not to give a tip as we leave the service. We're, the offering is something we should think about. The offering is something we should pray about. The offering is something that we should seek the Lord and the Holy Spirit leading on. Please hear me. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in your giving. You pray about it. For those of, you, those of you who are married, pray together. Also pray separately. It's amazing how many times my wife and I would pray separately as it relates to our giving, and we would come up with the same number. God's not the author of confusion, my friends. But let's talk a little bit more about giving thoughtfully. How do we do this? Be intentional. Be intentional. We should not mechanically reach into our checkbooks or go online um, and give without a second thought. You know, um, it's not like brushing your teeth or going to the mailbox. We can do that stuff in our sleep. No. We think about it and we're to pray about our giving. I mean, we're given to the creator of the universe. Think about that. So please, don't be flippant with your giving. Be intentional. Be purposeful. Also be worshipful. Giving is an act of worship. This is an extremely important thing to grasp when it comes to giving. When giving your, your money to the work of the ministries, it's meant to be just as worshipful as when we stand and sing, as when we pray, and as we hear the message. Think about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. That's where we get the words we all want to hear one day, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. But keep in mind, this was spoken of a master commending the diligent financial stewardship of one of his servants. Once again, God must be the guide in our giving. And as we look on his lavish grace, he gave with purpose, he gave with intention, and he gave with planning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That means when Christ came into the world to give us life, he had you and he had me in mind. He did this with purpose. God was intentional. 
Paul also states that God loves a cheerful giver. So what do you th- I know some of you, of you are thinking, all right, Dennis, do you want us to give and we need to be cheerful about it? Yeah. Yeah. Cheerful giving should be the way of life for a Christian who understands the grace of God. Folks, let me just say this. Any wealth, any power, any strength you you have originated with God. Any gift, any talent originated with God. Do you know what stewardship really is? It's managing everything God has given or entrusted to us. Everything. Our time, our talents, and yes, our financial resources. I'm also going to say this. As Christians, we are not under the law. We're under grace. Therefore, we are encouraged to be generous in our gifts and giving, not as a legal requirement or or because a percentage of our income is required to meet the demands of the church. No. Listen, as the executive pastor or executive elder of this church, I know our budget inside and out. I can tell you to the penny how much money we need every week, every month, and every year to run this ministry. I can tell you all the bills we have, and I can stand here right now and give a passionate plea, a passionate plea on the high cost of inflation and why we need to give to keep this church running. But my friends, that should not be our primary motivation when we give, no. When we give thoughtfully, when we give with purpose, and when we give with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, God will meet our needs. He will. Cheerful giving and wise generosity is something that delights the heart of the Lord who has saved us by his grace and has given us all these things to richly enjoy due to his overabundant love and kindness. And when we give with that motivation in mind, you won't have to listen to the executive elder talk about the high cost of electricity or anything else I ramble on about, about the budget because the giving will be sufficient. That's why I love verse eight, right? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Love that verse. Yeah, I could close this sermon with that verse, but I won't. (laughs) Sorry. Look at 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. We know God, of course, is the one who supplies the seed and supplies the bread. But listen, this is the same God who feeds the birds in the sky who don't sow or reap or gather into barns, Matthew 6, 26. It is the same God who gives rains from the sky in fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with good food and gladness, Acts 14, 7. And yes, again, it is the same God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, John 3, 16. So what is Paul's point here? Simply this. It is to remind the Corinthian Christians and us 
of God's, gener God's generosity in the past. And friends, why shouldn't they and us trust God to be generous in the future? We can. We can. Paul is saying that if the Corinthians will act righteously by giving generously, then they can anticipate that God will bless their generosity by multiplying its effect. We've seen that here at this church. Paul goes on to say, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. You know, in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 8, Paul spoke of the Macedonian church um, that had given generously in spite their poverty. And Paul spoke of their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed and a wealth of generosity on their part. Now he holds out the vision of the Corinthian Christians receiving the same kind of blessing if they contribute generously. However, unfortunately, given can be an indicator of how much we trust God. For example, if we think we have to do it all ourselves and that God is not the rewarder of those who trust him, then we're not living the way God wants us to live. The author of Hebrew says, oh, go back. I apologize, but the author of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. My friends, as Christians, we are assured that God is aware of our needs, and that he will take care of us. Matthew 6, 30-33 says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. My dear friends, we can be generous in our giving because we have a God who cares for us. We have a God who provides for us. And the more we seek the things of the Spirit, the less material things mean to us. We still use them. We still enjoy them. And that's okay. But we must recognize who has given them to us. We must understand that if we do not own them, we're just merely stewards of them, and we must keep a loose grip on them. I love the comment of the uh, wonderful, late, great missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to close this message by asking a question and making a feeble attempt to answer my own question. But the question that I get, we get as leaders is, 
How much should a Christian give? It's a great question. You will notice in this message, I did not mention tithing, at least not directly. I know, I know. Tithing is an Old Testament law. And we are under grace. I get it. And for me to say a Christian must tithe would say that we're, uh, we're not under grace. But for me personally, and right now I'm just speaking for Dennis Fay. I am not speaking for the elders. I'm not speaking for anyone else. I personally believe tithing is a, grace, a great place to start and you're given. And this is why. Because we are under grace. And because we're under grace, I want to give and live because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. So my challenge this morning for all of us is to pray about your giving and seek the Holy Spirit's guidance in your giving. I know that some of you may find this to be a challenge. I get it. I know that some of you may find this challenge to be fearful. I get it. But you'll notice twice in this sermon, I quoted John 3, 16. Matter of fact, I'm going to do it for a third time, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, God loves us so much. God cares for us so much that he gave his only son so that we would have eternal life. If he did that, and he did, don't you think he's able to adequately provide for our needs? Yes. Yes. Please, as we maneuver through 2024, my challenge again is to step out in your faith, in your stewardship of your time, your talents, and yes, your financial resources. And I know you're all looking forward to this next statement. Let's pray. Father God, we, we, we thank you for all the gifts you've given us. Thank you for our lives. We thank you for our loved ones, all that we have and all that we are. We just thank you. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for you, for Jesus Christ, our Son and our Redeemer, who came among us to show us the way to eternal life. Jesus was the perfect steward of your gifts, showing that complete trust in you is necessary, and giving himself its more important part of following him. So may the offering of our time, the offering of our talents, and the offering of our material resources be made in the same spirit of sacrifice that Jesus taught us by his life and his death for us. For we ask and pray all of this in the strong name of Christ Jesus. Amen.